everybody. Thanks for tuning back into the podcast this week. It is a different week of sorts as I will be playing the sermon that I was able to preach at my church on Sunday, June 23rd called True Worship. So this whole podcast will be a rebroadcast of that message. And the message is based on John chapter 4. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. And again, I was thankful to preach this uh, while my pastor was on vacation. Thank you for that opportunity. So enjoy this sermon called True Worship. Today we'll be studying and reminding ourselves about what God has to say about authentic worship. The Bible is clear on what worship is, where it comes from, its purpose, and its function. The word worship is used 265 times in the Bible. The Bible begins and ends centered on worship. So what did Jesus himself teach about authentic worship? Let's read and see. Look at uh, John chapter 4, starting with verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket. The well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well, drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning seeking your spirit as we worship you, as we open your word as we equip ourselves with the truth from it. 
May we bless and honor you with our actions and words today. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, there we were, five cooks from Litchfield, smack dab in the epicenter of the hustle and bustle. The amount of people was indescribable. The smells were, well, indescribable. The anxiety within my body could be seen from miles away. It's the focus of almost every movie. It's the center of almost every secular song, and it's the city that never sleeps. That's right. The homeschool family went to New York City. Last year, Sarah planned this extravagant vacation to Hershey, Pennsylvania. You heard me right. Hershey, Pennsylvania. We were going to tour some chocolate factories, visit a theme park called Hershey Park. Hey, what could go wrong? Chocolate and roller coasters. Easy. But God had other plans. As we made the trek to Pennsylvania, historic flooding set in last summer. It closed down the theme park and several attractions within the town. So my bride improvised and we detoured and we kept going north to New York City. In the words of my son, Alex, we saw some things that were pretty cool. And we also saw some things that we never want to see again. It's the city that really doesn't sleep. I want to, I want to know this this morning. Raise your hand if you've been to New York City. Look around. Look at all those hands. Awesome. Okay, raise, <laughs> raise your hand if you've never been, but you want to go. If you've never been, but you want to go to New York City, okay? Raise your hand if you know you ain't never going to go to New York City. <laughs> I think my dad raised his hand all three times. I'm not sure. On our trip, man, we saw the sights. You can see it there. And the pictures, the statues were amazing. We saw that. We saw monuments, landmarks. We also saw something that caught our attention, though. In a way, the city itself was being worshipped. New York City was an idol to some while we were there. I'm not saying that if you have been to New York City or you love New York City that you're in the wrong. I've been to New York City twice. I'm talking about the overarching paradigm of those who use the city as their own personal religion. People who worship New York City instead of the one true God. They have the idea of worship wrong. They worship what they do not know. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to that in your personal life? Do you have something in your life that you worship instead of Jesus Christ? Do you fully understand the concept of what worship means according to Jesus and according to the Bible? I want to set up today's passage emphasis for you. In the first half of John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman at the well. In that quick conversation, he briskly turns the conversation to a conversation about worship. Jesus had been ministering publicly in and around Jerusalem and decided it was time to head back to Galilee. He leaves Jerusalem, the center of Jewish worship, and heads to Samaria. The disciples and Jesus have had a long and taxing trip physically. It was hard on them and they decide in the heat of the day to stop at the well and rest. The disciples head into town to pick up some food 
while Jesus rests there. And while he rests there, the woman approaches the well. Jesus could have taken a different route to Galilee that went around Samaria. But he chose a direct path to have a direct conversation with a woman who needed to be directed on true worship. Look in John 4, starting with verse 7 again. Keep your Bibles out. We're going to be there. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In a culture where men were considered more important than women, in a time when men rarely spoke to women, in fact, the disciples would later criticize Jesus for this conversation, and he would be uh, ridiculed for it in Mark as well. He, he still spoke to the woman at the well. Despite her race, gender, or background, Jesus spoke to her, loved her, and taught her, regardless of the unwritten and written rules that preceded him. Jesus was tired, and he longed for a drink, And the woman at the well could quench his thirst with a drink from that well. But here's what Jesus did. Jesus used that moment to expose her own spiritual thirst. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, You don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? The lady's confused. She's asking where Jesus plans to get this living water when the man has no bucket to pull it up from the well. We're all like this woman, though, in seasons of our lives. We all thirst. We each thirst for something. But Jesus offers water that will forever quench our thirst. But sometimes we attempt to quench it on our own. Sometimes we attempt to quench that thirst through retail therapy. Okay, I heard an amen from the second row. Through food or drink, through all these other things. I don't know about you, but my discipline with anything in my personal life, anything that I set my mind to, it comes and goes in seasons. There are seasons when I'm very disciplined and seasons when I'm not disciplined at all. Can you relate to that at all? I'm the only one. Can you relate to that in your daily devotional? Can you relate to that with your physical health? Can you relate to that with the relationship with your spouse or a close friend? This conversation that Jesus has about water turns to what the woman had been searching for in her own life, a search for relationship. Look at verses 16 through 18. Verse 16, go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman was searching for something that could never satisfy She's had five failed marriages and currently has a boyfriend. She was searching for something that relationships could not provide. Church, I want to make sure you hear this this morning. Everything that we turn to besides Jesus 
will leave us empty inside. Everything that we turn to besides Jesus leaves us empty inside. It leaves us longing for more, searching for that hidden treasure that will take away all of our guilt, all of our burden, all of our emptiness away. The woman was fixing to find out that the only thing that could do that for her was the living Savior, Jesus Christ. But imagine what this woman was thinking. All she wanted to do was draw water from this well. And now some guy comes up and is talking to her, and he knows her innermost thoughts, her sins, and her struggles. Put yourself in her shoes. Imagine being at Walmart, minding your own business, back in the back looking at the fish tanks. You know, they have fish tanks back there. Nobody. There's fish at Walmart, pretty sure. Some guy comes up to you kind of talking out of his mind. You get a little nervous, but all of a sudden he says something to you that is very private, something no one else knows, an innermost thought, a sin, or a struggle. What would you do in that circumstance? Well, this lady thought she was talking to a prophet. What else would explain it? The woman at the well assumes that this man will now call on her to go and worship at the temple. So the conversation begins now about worship. Look at verse 19. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. This leads us now to point number one. True worship is not about regulations. True worship is not about regulations. The woman at the well thought salvation was something that she did. But Jesus instructs her about the true nature of salvation, that salvation is not something that we do. It's something that God does for us. He saves us. This is an interesting thought. The living water of grace is sweet only to those who know the bitter taste of their own sin. How true that is. The living water of grace is sweet only to those who know the bitter taste of sin. Whether this woman had literally gone through several marriages or was just given over to a life of promiscuity, she needed what Jesus alone could give. She had been a poor steward of her thirst. She had spent most of her life running to broken sisters, cisterns that hold no water, and now she's offered the only water that will satisfy her and us, and that's the grace of the gospel. Let's continue reading with verses 23 and 24. But an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. She was missing the mark, wasn't she? One brave person in this 
congregation invited me shooting one day, specifically trap shooting. Again, I say one brave person. I had expressed an interest in shooting, though I had not shot a gun until like three years ago. This blessed man, he suited me up with some glasses, protective goggles, belt, ammo, borrowed his shotgun, and this cool little vest thingy that kind of held the, the ammo down here. You put your shells in there when you're done. It was neat. It was neato. But when I began attempting to hit the clay targets, moving through the sky like a bird flying through the wind, my attention was on 15 things at once. I was a little slow. Then I was a little fast, a little high, a little low. And by that time, I couldn't hear anything and my shoulder was numb. I could not feel my shoulder. I hit a few and I missed a few. But I was told to say, and I quote, that is not a reflection of Tony Stitch's teachings, end quote. <laughs> was that right? That was right? Okay. <laughs> I missed the mark. Even with the protective eyewear, the hat, the belt, the ammo, the shotgun, the cool little vest thing, I looked really good in all that, though. Hey. <laughs> I still miss the mark. The woman at the well also needed to refocus her attention on the target. Point 1A reminds us that we worship God in spirit. We worship God in spirit. Verse 24 teaches us that God is spirit. So to truly worship God, we must have his spirit within us. We must accept him into our lives through salvation. Our passage emphasis of verses 23 and 24, it notates one of the strongest worship statements in the New Testament. 10 of John's 13 uses of the Greek word for worship appear in these few verses. We learn immediately that place is irrelevant and that worship is not primarily in body through physical motions and activities, but in spirit. We worship God in spirit. Point 1B, this text reminds us that we worship God in truth. Worship must be done in truth, honest, biblical, Christ-centered truth. These verses show the difference, though, between religion and the gospel. Religion describes humankind's search for God. The gospel describes the way God reached down to humanity. True worship must be based on the true knowledge of God. The Samaritans limited themselves to only knowing the first five books of the Bible. They had a tunnel vision. They put God in a box of who he really was. Their truth was not the entire truth. Later in this same gospel, John wrote that Jesus told him, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Church, true worship has nothing to do with rules and regulations, but a genuine heart's desire to love and follow Jesus. Jesus is teaching that true authentic worship is not about a checklist of do's and don'ts. 
for we worship him in truth. Point 1C teaches us that we worship God with our hearts. We worship him in spirit and in truth and with our hearts. Rules and regulations, checklists and guidelines were no longer needed with the coming of Jesus. He was the prophecy fulfilled. He was the Messiah, the living King of Kings. When I think of the, uh, the culture of the S Samaritan woman and our culture today, there are many, many differences, but there are some similarities. Then and now we find a confused people. Then and now we find a selfish, self-centered people, a people who do as they please without a concern for the one true God. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 29, it is written, The Lord said, These people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me, and human rules direct their worship of me. Church, if I could leave you with one thing today, it would be a plea for you to worship Jesus Christ with your whole heart, not living a double life where you worship him on Sunday and flip a switch on Monday through Saturday and live for yourself. Beginning with me, if that is your lifestyle, may it go away and may we direct our focus to offer all of who we are to all of who God is and his plans for us. True worship is not about regulations. Notice that once Jesus explains about true worship, he also gives the opportunity for her to apply it to her life. He not only teaches, but he continues the conversation to show that she has the chance to experience true worship by following him. Look in verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. In the next verse... Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Point two teaches us that true worship is about a relationship. True worship is about a relationship. But what does a relationship with God look like? How do I gauge my relationship to God? Pastor and author John Piper wrote this. We receive his communications and by the Spirit are made alive to them. We see them coming, his communications of himself, his character, and his work on our behalf, and we're awakened to them. We are made to admire them, delight in them, and be happy in them. Then we return to him. Likewise, through the Word, by the Spirit, through the name of Jesus, we offer prayers acts of service and gratitude. Here's the main idea. The result is that our lives are going Godward while his life towards us is coming manward. That's the relationship. Our authentic worship of Jesus displays a true relationship with him through the salvation that he offers to us. As we study God's word, we find our Savior desiring a relationship with us from the beginning of all beginnings. Point 2a, we were created to worship. 
We were created to worship. God created the universe so that it would display the worth of his glory. And he created us so that we would see his glory and reflect it by knowing it and loving it with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. From the first breath that God gave Adam and Eve in Genesis, he created us to worship him. In Isaiah chapter 43, listen to these words. Everyone who bears my name is created for my glory. I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. The people I formed for myself will declare my praise. We were created to worship. In his book, Sing, Keith Getty wrote, check this out, your ability to sing is fearfully and wonderfully made. Around the 12-week mark, the vocal cords of a baby growing in the womb are in place and have been shown to work long before the baby is even born. We were created to worship. Point 2B reminds us that we are commanded to worship. If we were to write out a definition of worship, we might say that worship is our response to who God is and what he has done for us. Worship is our response to who God is and what he has done for us. Singing is a big part of worship. And also, the Word of God. Did you know the Bible contains over 400 references to singing and 50, 50 direct commands to sing? Not suggestions, but commands. We're commanded twice in the New Testament alone to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I love to see this in the church. I love to, to see the choirs, the different age groups of the choirs sing, the Mother's Day Choir, the Father's Day Choir, the kids. I love to stand in this spot leading you in, in the music for worship each Sunday and watching you follow that command. A lot of you sing on Sunday, but, I mean, not everybody um, Josh Bratcher. Now, what I want to say, I don't want to call anybody out. A lot of you singing. Most, some of you are singing. We were created to worship. We were commanded to worship. And point C, it's kind of a, a natural flow here. We should be compelled to worship. Created, commanded, compelled. Look back at our main passage in John 4, 23. Start in verse 23. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Here it is. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. John, the author of this gospel, tells us the Father wants such people to worship him. God, hey, God the Father wants you to worship him. That alone should be enough evidence to rest our case with this point of the message today. The thought that God desires us to worship him should compel us to worship him every day. But sometimes what do we want to do with worship, what do we want it to become? What do we desire 
it to be. Truth is, we want to make worship about us. The real truth is that worship is created by him. Worship is for him and directed only to him. Worship is genuinely offered in spirit and truth when we make our preferences his purposes. Think about that for a minute. Worship is genuinely offered in spirit and truth. We make our preferences his purposes. Shouldn't that be our goal? But what a challenge that is today. What a challenge it is to go from a culture where everything is about being customized to us to making something so grand and so important about someone else. From our automobiles to our menus, 100% of what we do in life is ultimately geared toward personal perfection and customization. It's no different in the church. We want what we want. When we want it, we desire to hear, uh, see, do, and experience. We, we want all those things just how we want them. Fights, arguments, disagreements, personal attacks, staff turnover, church splits have all happened in the past due to this little phrase, worship wars. Worship wars are real. But please note, we're not talking about our corporate worship service music style, the selection, the presentation, or the order. Music is a part of worship, but worship is so much bigger than music itself. Music within worship is just a small portion of the overall worship experience. Singing, playing, serving, reading, giving, preaching, teaching, attending, praying, and more are all aspects of our weekly corporate worship service. Worship wars are real, but the real worship war is a war of the heart. The sinful nature within us can sometimes desire selfish goals and ambitions to rise up in and out of the church campus. In his 2019 book, Above All, our SBC president, J.D. Greer, wrote, Worship is right thinking about God and right response to the gospel. I think of it this way. True worship, true worship begins with salvation, and salvation begins with the gospel. True worship begins with salvation, and salvation begins with the gospel. Greer went on to say that the gospel is more important than our programs. The gospel is more important than our preferences and our priorities and our politics than our fill-in-the-blank. It doesn't matter how you fill that blank in. The gospel is always and will always be the most important. If you are a Christian... Our goal for you as a member of this church is to share the gospel and live the gospel. Philippians 1.27, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. If you're not a Christian here today, our goal for you as a friend of our church is to hear the gospel, experience the gospel, 
and respond to the gospel. That's our goal for you. John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it, but to save the world through him. Remember, true worship begins with salvation and salvation begins with the gospel. So what's the gospel? The gospel can be summarized simply as this, Jesus died in your place. The Lamb of God in your place, he didn't just die on the cross for you, he died instead of you. Let me ask you this question. What does your relationship with God look like today? Are you communing with him daily? Are you seeking his presence, his guidance? Are you sharing about him through the life that you lead? Could it be that the relationship is not what you hoped it would be? Well, you have an opportunity to change that today. Maybe you do not know Jesus and his love for you. If that is you today, if you are here today and do not know that Jesus loves you, let me make this very clear. Jesus Christ loves you so much that he gave his life for you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He desires for you to accept him into your heart and live for him. Remember earlier, I said that worship is our response to who God is and what he has done for us. It's now time for that response. We now have a chance for us to react to God's leading in our hearts through singing, through prayer, through submitting ourselves to him, or we rededicate ourselves to him. The time is now for you to respond based off of how he has led you. Respond through prayer at this altar, through accepting Christ. Maybe you are looking to make our church home your church home. This time of invitation that we now have is open for you to respond in these ways. Let's pray together, and as I pray, I urge you to pray to God and, and then respond the way that he is leading you to respond. Let's pray together this morning.